0: Hi, this is Willie Nelson. You're listening to Radical Free Speech Radio, KPFK in Los Angeles. Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness. Which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Banner. And good afternoon, friends, and welcome to today's episode of the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK in Los Angeles. Broadcasting to all of Southern California from Santa Barbara to San Diego on 90.7 FM, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, and streaming for the world at kpfk.org. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, I want to thank you as we've concluded just a couple of days ago our spring fun drive. Uh, Thanks, those of you who made a donation, a contribution, or even a pledge. We really appreciate it. I must say, as has been the case since, uh, well, the pandemic, and even before the pandemic, we're not reaching our goal. Uh, We're still running on a severely reduced budget, no program director, no senior producers. Um, We've now lost our general manager, Uh, I guess that frees up some money, but (laughs) we're still barely holding it together here. And yet, some money has come in. I I personally have not seen the totals, but uh, I know it was good, but not great. And in any event, we are most appreciative for what you may have done. We've heard from students and seniors Others on a fixed income, some people without any job at all, that manage to come up with pledges of five or ten dollars a month. Uh, twenty-five dollars once a year makes you a KPFK member. We had quite a few people donating twenty-five dollars a year. Actually, we had some really nice donations of one hundred and fifty, two hundred and fifty dollars. People who made annual pledges and. Uh, The sustainer circle did well too. These are people that are pledging $15, $20, $25 every month and allowing that amount to be removed from their bank account. It shows up, you know, on on your statement, your tax deductible contribution to keep KPFK on the radio and keep it commercial free. It's conceivable that we could stay on the radio but be. Underwritten by large corporations. I don't suppose that's something that we really want, do we? A corporate influence? I've done enough commercial radio in my life to know what it's like to have the door kicked in and to be told not to write the news that way. In fact, I'll, I'll tell a story here about uh, ABC Radio. Back in the early 1980s, I was reporting America's involvement in the Reagan administration with the uh, war in Nicaragua. And the anti-Sandinista forces that we were supporting were commonly in the media called contra, which simply means opposed to. And I called them by their correct name, Somacistas. According to congressional testimony, expert testimony, 12 of their 13 highest commanders were former members of... Anastasio Somoza, the corrupt dictator of of Nicaragua, of his uh, right-wing death squads. And that's who we were supporting, as we did in El Salvador, death squads, right-wing neo-Nazi death squads. Um, In El Salvador, they were raping and murdering nuns, and and, uh, Alexander Haig called them communist nuns. You remember all of that. And my boss, vice president of ABC, uh, said to me, what's a Somosista? And I explained it to him. And he said, well, nobody else is saying it. And I said, I know. They all just go with a wire copy, Contra. Uh, I'm trying to be as accurate and honest as possible. He said, well, don't do that. I said, well, what do you want from me? He said, I want you to sound like everybody else. And I said, wait a minute, don't you want me to tell the highest quality of truth that I possibly can to do the best job for you? Isn't that what you're hiring me to do? He said, no, I want you to sound like everybody else. True story, from the front. (laughs) And, uh, you know, years before that, I was fired in Detroit for refusing to call the North Vietnamese the enemy. That was the wire copy phrase, the enemy. You don't want that, so support this radio station with your dollars at kpfk.org. So we're out of the fund drive, but we still need your support. Do it now, today, right now. Make a nice pledge, a donation, a contribution at kpfk.org. You'll feel really good about yourself. And next time you hear an appeal, you'll enjoy the pride of knowing you're part of the family. And supporting community radio for all of Southern California. Progressive, free speech, pro-democracy radio. Now I have to talk briefly about the war. Um, I have a guest coming up. We're going to talk about grief and loss. And Lord knows we all know grief and loss. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe someone you know died. Um... That's part of life. Death is part of life. Not only the end of life for those who die; but it's a daily occurrence. You know, your your dogs die, your cats die, your grandparents, then your parents, then your friends start keeling over. But uh, it doesn't take a death for us to suffer grief and loss. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you kept your job, but your income took a hit. Maybe you broke up with someone, a divorce. Maybe you lost your home, it was foreclosed upon. We're going to talk about how to deal with that with my guests today. But I just just need to say something about the war in Europe. And what I'd like to do as a call to action, really... Because we are an anti-war, always have been, a band the bomb, anti-nuclear proliferation, anti-war, as well as a social justice radio station. That's what KPFK is, Pacifica, that's what it means, peace and justice. I want you to consider where we would be, in spite of how you feel about Joe Biden as president, where we would be if... Trump had, in fact, been reelected. You heard him say just a few days ago how smart Putin is. And you know, Trump is Putin's lapdog. All of that fake news stuff, all of his strategies for creating chaos, for undermining NATO, for blackmailing Zelensky and Ukraine, for using pro Russian sources in Ukraine to try to get dirt on Biden and his son, Hunter. Uh, Paul Manafort worked for the pro-Russian forces out of Ukraine and Trump made him his campaign manager until he went to to prison for his corruption. And so, again, the Russian collusion, the Russian connection uh, is, is so patently obvious that we would be supporting... Russia right now in Ukraine if Trump was in the Oval Office. And we're already hearing the alt-right drumbeats among the Republican Party calling Biden weak and feckless, and we need to get tough with Russia. What they mean is we need to be more like Russia and replace democracy with a dictator. Uh, If not Trump himself, someone like him. Like perhaps DeSantis, the governor of Florida. So, what do we do to oppose war in Europe? Make sure we're not part of it. Have we contributed to it with our longstanding foreign policy of American ground forces and combat troops deployed all around the world? Are there not currently 10,000 American troops? Right now, in Poland, just miles away from Russian missile strikes, do we not stand on the brink of World War III? Yeah. Things are dangerous enough as they are. The idea that Trump or DeSantis or someone like them could get into office is terrifying, more so than ever before. So we must be proactive. We must... Be socially and politically active, not out of anger, not out of fear, but out of love and compassion. Work with people that you know who are confused, who are Trump supporters, or who just don't know any better, who don't read books, who don't think, who watch Fox News, and don't argue with them. Treat them gently and kindly with respect and listen to them. Nothing is more powerful than a question. You don't have to have all the answers if you're the question person. Why do you believe that? Where did you hear that? Do you have any evidence for that? Why do you think that's true? Have you always believed that? Is there any other reason or example you can give for holding that belief and leave it at that? Plant seeds, be patient, and work with individuals. If everyone listening (laughs) to this radio station or the sound of my voice right now did that with just one other person in your family or your, your group of friends or an associate at work, that's how you change the world. Stay tuned, I'm gonna introduce my guest and her book, Different After You, a book about loss and grief. Right after this, we're gonna have some tools for you, some practical tools to help you deal with the feelings that hurt the most. You're listening to The Mystery School on 90.7 FM, KPFK in Los Angeles. The new governess at Thornfield Hall gets the third degree from her employer. Who are your parents? I have none. And your home? I have no
1: home. And then who the deuce recommended you to come here?
0: Emily Bergel and Nick Torren star in Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte, adapted by Christina Calvin. Next time. On LA Theater Works. Tune into LA Theater Works
1: on Sunday evenings at 10 p.m., bringing you world class theater featuring all star casts. That's LA Theater Works right here on KPFK 90.7 FM and streaming on the web at kpfk.org.
0: This is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on 90.7 FM KPFK for all of Southern California from Santa Barbara to San Diego and then some. High in the mountain, out in the desert, ships at sea, oil rigs, you never know where, where people are listening to this radio station. We also stream for the world at kpfk.org. And appreciate you tuning in today. Thanks for joining us, uh, hopefully live. We love it when you can join us live on the radio or the live stream. Wonderful guest for us today. Uh, we're going to talk about a difficult topic, but... I think, an important and liberating topic. And if you feel like this doesn't really apply to you, uh, hang in, because it does. It's uh, our, our scope is going to be bigger than it might appear at the top. But we're going to talk about emotions. We're going to talk about, in particular, so-called negative emotions. I say it that way because I think, well... We call them negative emotions because they hurt, but they actually have enormous value. And we'll talk about what might be the value of something that hurts us emotionally so much, so deeply, so profoundly. That's part of what we're going to talk about today. And in particular about grief and loss, which brings up the issues of connection, right? And our our longing. Some would admit our need to recognize our connection, not just to other people, family members, but to friends, to lovers, to committed partners, uh, to life itself, to the animals that you love, to the the trees and nature. Why does it feel so uh, significant to get out of the city once in a while and walk in nature? or even find a city park. It's a connection. And uh, sometimes those connections feel broken, and we end up feeling broken. Grief and loss is our topic today, and my guest knows her subject well. She's the author of a book called Different After You. Michelle Neff Hernandez. Michelle, good afternoon. Welcome to KPFK, and thanks for joining us.
1: So glad to be here, Michael. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, we have to begin with your story. It's sort of like, who says so? You know, let's establish your credibility here. Uh, Who is the you that uh, you lost that made you feel different afterward?
1: I love the way that you've asked that question, Um, especially because for the book, each person gets to define that you. And so my you was my late husband, Philip Hernandez. He was killed in a cycling accident when he was 39. I was 35 years old and we had a blended family of six. And the day that he died, I had no idea how to move through the experience of life without him. And in a lot of ways, I found myself negatively comparing what I once was to what I had become in my grief and wasn't able to give myself the grace to recognize that I was different. I was, instead of trying to get back to the same version of myself that was uh, walking the world while my husband was alive, my new work was getting to know the person that loved and grieved someone who had died. And so getting to know how I was different, why I was different, and recognizing that that difference didn't mean less than, it could instead mean just different, and sometimes even more than. So um, that's the work that brought me to this book, Um, but I will say that it was influenced by the work that I have been able to do since with uh, thousands of widowed people around the world.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about your group for sure, but this is huge. I think this uh, insight that you had, we hear even now, as uh, COVID appears to be winding down, people commonly saying, I just want to get back to normal. Uh, Sounds like you're saying there really is no going back to anything, right?
1: That's the perfect way to say it. There's really no going back. One of the chapters in the book is called, You Can't Unknow What You Know. And uh, that's, that's the reason why we can't go back, because we've learned things, all of us as a community, we've grieved globally, we've grieved in community, we've grieved as individuals over these past two years um, in unique ways. And what we now know and what we've lived through will influence the way that we live in the future. And so we can't go back to an exact version of who we were before the pandemic began Um, And for any person who's experienced a traumatic experience of any kind, whether it's a grief experience or an illness or the loss of something pivotal in your life, we aren't going to be able to go back to an exact replica of the person that we were before.
0: So we've already in one sense created a parallel, but really uh, your work is not about all the different ways that we lose things and grieve and suffer it seems you have a very holistic view of the inevitability of loss and grief and suffering in our lives. Is that true?
1: It is, and one of the one of the key messages in this book is that our past and our traumatic experiences deserve a place in our life. Because so often what happens when something really bad happens, uh, the pandemic is a perfect example. We want to go back to normal. We just want what we used to have. But the trouble is that what we now know has changed the way we look at everything. And so we can't have back exactly what we had before, but we can through this new lens, if we give our past and our traumatic experiences a place in our lives, they can influence the way we build what's next for the person we've become through that experience. And one of the the things I hope people will take from the book is that you aren't less than. You're different, but that doesn't equal less than. It just means that this new version of you knows new things, has developed different coping techniques, has made your way through something life- altering. And on the other side of that lies the opportunity to embrace this new self, learn to respect this new self, and build a meaningful life for the person you've become through your experience.
0: You're reframing the whole idea of loss as growth
1: Well, I think it's it's you'll often hear people talk about the opportunity to grow through grief and loss. I think what's unique about my perspective is that is the acknowledgement that we've been changed. Because a lot of times our, we set ourselves up for the goal of going back to normal and especially for grievers. So you have a grief experience and you're mourning the person who's died. And then you're thinking to yourself, I'm just waiting for the day when I can go back to normal. You can't go back to a time when you didn't grieve this person. You can't go back to a time when you didn't live through what you've lived through. And so normal has to shift. And for me, it's not so much about the term new normal, but rather building a life of meaning for the person you're becoming. Because you are living through an experience. You now have more tools and resources to count on whatever the next traumatic experience you may live through in your life, as long as we allow ourselves to be changed by what we've experienced, we now continue to stack up those tools for learning how we make our way because life is full of the challenges that will come one after another, whether there are our personal challenges or the challenge of someone in our life, whether it's a grief experience or traumatic loss of another kind. We just know that that's a part of of being human.
0: You know, when people talk about Getting back to normal. I think what they're looking for, Michelle, what we're looking for, is uh, some sense of stability Mm -hmm. and familiarity.
1: And safety, I'd say. An emotional sense of safety.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's not that I want to be average and not stand out. You know, normal to me sort of brings up Words like common or Uh ordinary, you Uh know, and we don't want to be common. This universe uh, goes out of its way to avoid redundancy. (laughs) (laughs) Everything is very unique Uh and quite incomparable. Um, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't stretch the allegory, but I'm reminded of the ancient view of the snake as an animal that represents spirituality because it sheds its skin. Mm -hmm. And that's seen as a kind of a rebirth or uh, an endless cycle. And so we see the snake uh, and the ambulances and the old Greco-Roman caduceus. And the snake represents life for that very reason, because of its ability to shed its skin and grow and, and move on.
1: The interesting thing about that allegory, actually, I love it. So I'm glad you brought it up. The interesting thing about that to me is that the makeup of the snake doesn't change, right? Its skin is what is peeled. And we see just another version and another version and another version of the same animal. And I think that's so true for us as humans. And, and what we sometimes make the mistake of doing is setting, going back to normal as the definition of successful healing. And when we do that, we're basically swimming upstream, Because we're working really hard to try to go somewhere, which is to a place of healing, without acknowledging that we've been changed. And so we are constantly trying to run from the very thing that has changed us. And so it makes you unable to shed that skin, right? So if what we can do instead is say, my husband died, his death has changed me. I'm going to shed the skin that was the one I was wearing when I was married to him. And that was the life I was living. I'm not sure exactly what this new skin is going to feel like, but I know that I need to embody that new skin in order to be my best self as I stand today.
0: Wow. That's really nice. Well said. Um, I told you uh, when we spoke on the phone a day or two ago that, uh, you're not a psychotherapist, but you speak like one.
1: <laughs> I love control. that comment, Michael. That was good fun for me. <laughs> I call myself a fake therapist sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah no.
0: I do too. I just fall back on, no, no, I'm a teacher. I'm not a healer. But uh, that's what you are. You're a teacher. And I guess it's the, uh, we're graduates of the School of Hard Knocks. Uh, let's talk about the horrifying nature of that initial hit that gut punch, that feeling of being completely shattered when you realize that there is some trauma. It could be death. It could be the diagnosis of a horrible illness that you didn't even suspect. It could be... Divorce. Yeah, or a career loss, or your home is foreclosed upon, or uh, something horrible happens to your children. I mean, my God, there's just so many... So many things that could happen to us. What do we do? What do you suggest that that people do? I don't suppose there's any way to prepare for this, but here we are. It's happened. We're just, we can't get out of bed, you know. We're in the first few days of this. We're trying to breathe. What do we do?
1: The thing that I tell everyone who's in the early stages of dealing with a traumatic experience is to be kind to yourself. And as simple as that advice is, it is often one of the first things that goes out the window. We start immediately judging ourselves because we can't get out of bed, because we don't know what to do, because this is such a foreign experience. We feel completely shattered. We, keep, we begin the narrative in our brain about how we should be better. We should be able to get out of bed. We should be able to deal with this. I like to just remind people that you will only be this uniquely shattered at this time once in your life. This is a unique experience you're living and your opportunity to be kind to this self that's living this experience is right now. You will never have that chance again. I, I say to newly widowed people, I wish someone, I wish I'd been able to say to my newly widowed self, you're only going to be newly widowed for the first time once ever. And if you're not kind to this self, you lose the opportunity to do it. And so if we can treat ourselves Like we would treat a person we love, our best friend, a family member, if they were living your exact same experience, how would you treat them? What would you do for them? What kind of kindness would you offer them? Offer yourself that same kindness because it's going to require grace. It's going to require patience to make your way through a life-altering experience. Your whole life has changed. Whatever it is that brought you to the moment where you feel completely shattered, your whole life has just changed. And it's going to take patience and kindness to be able to start to sort through what that really means for you.
0: Yeah, it's so much easier to be kind to other people than to yourself, though. Exactly. Um, That's why
1: I use that analogy because it because you can think immediately of the kindness you would. Oh, of course, I would be so kind. I like to tell people say your tell your story out loud. And, and act as if it's someone else this is happening to, what would you do for them? How would you, what would you expect of them? Because so often it's much, much less than we would expect of ourselves. And so when we reframe and begin to look, in fact, there's a chapter in the book about what it's like to carry the load you're carrying. And what would it be like if someone was, as you're walking up a really steep hill, carrying a heavy backpack, yelling out at you, you know, criticisms and and telling you you could be better and then realizing that oftentimes we're the ones telling ourselves that. We're the ones both carrying the backpack and we're the ones making it so, so much more difficult than it needs to be if only we can stop from criticizing ourselves and allow ourselves some grace and kindness.
0: I suspect guilt is a big element in this and I'm not sure if guilt is a feeling or a judgment that comes after the feeling. But wherever it comes from, whatever is its genesis, this sense that I should have been able to do something, or I should have known, or somehow I share in the responsibility for this. What do you suppose that's about, Michelle?
1: I do think it's both a feeling and a judgment. I think that guilt, like most of our other emotions, goes through an evolution as we continue to carry it. And so in the early stages of an experience, we may feel guilt for surviving. Perhaps you're a person who was in a car and the other person died, but you didn't. Or perhaps you know other people who have had the same kind of disease you have, but someone you really love died and you lived. So there's these varying degrees of survivor guilt as well as what What tends to happen with guilt as you carry it for a long time is that it evolves into a constant nagging about what you're doing now. So especially for widowed people or anyone grieving a a person, you end up asking yourself like, okay, if I'm laughing, do I feel guilty about the joy I'm feeling because my person is still dead? If I'm beginning to build a life for this new self, does that devalue in some way the life that I used to live with when my person was alive? And so we start getting guilt confused with love. And so we start thinking, okay, pain and love are the same thing. And if I'm not accepting the pain, then I should feel guilty for any joy that would come because I have freed myself from any amount of pain, even if it's just for a moment. I've seen so many people struggle with like, uh uh-oh, I just laughed I laughed, and I'm still just terribly broken about this person dying, and I'm afraid that the laughter is going to imply that somehow I've recovered, and I'm all better, and I don't feel what we confuse, right? Love. Instead, when we get a lightning of pain, allowing ourselves to let some joy in is is perhaps one of the scariest parts of the grief experience.
0: You've touched on exactly where I wanted to go with this, and I want to talk more about this after the break in a minute, but but, uh, let me get an initial response from you. It seems to me that we inhibit our own healing after grief and loss because we're afraid if we get over it, if we forget the pain, we're also going to forget the love and somehow discount or devalue the relationship. And so we sort of build an altar to our pain and vow to carry it forevermore, a kind of self-punishment for whatever it is we should have been able to do. Uh, It's pretty convoluted, but...
1: But so common. But so common.
0: You know what I'm talking about,
1: Yeah, I do. And and the thing about it is that when we confuse love and pain, when we think that pain equals love, we set ourselves up for a lifetime of pain. And oftentimes, more than pain, that more than joy being the thing that removes love, it's pain that ends up strangling it. If you're always in pain, it ends up strangling the love that you feel. Not that it's gone, just that it's feeling like it doesn't have any air. When we're able to build a life of meaning for ourselves and we include the memory of our loved one in what we do going forward, then we take that love and we share it. What does happens when we share? It multiplies. So the love grows The very thing we fear, which is we're going to lose the love, actually is the opposite is true. When we share the love, we multiply the love. And so we are able then, you know, and when I say share the love, I mean, say your person's name. I mean, do things that honor them. I mean, make sure that you're having a life of meaning for the self that they loved. They loved you. And so building a life for yourself honors the love they have for you. And when you do all of those things, the love just exponentially grows and so rather than forget it actually gives you a more joyful remembering
0: uh this is very personal and so you don't have to answer this if you don't want to but i'm curious uh you're remarried
1: i am yeah
0: your current husband does he really understand the importance of you maintaining a loving relationship with your deceased husband or is there some unconscious competition or jealousy there do you think
1: I love that question I can't tell you how many times both he and I have been asked that question Um, I believe that he is the thing for me is that when we first met he said you know he's one of the wisest things about this experience that I've ever heard he said you know if your grandmother were to die no one would think twice about you continuing to love your grandmother. In fact, they would think you are a great grandchild or son, whomever it is you are. Speaking of himself, I would be a great grandson if I remembered my grandmother with love. He said, I don't understand. Why would someone think that you would forget a person you married? Why would someone think that that kind of love is not okay to honor? And so he is a unique person, although you know, we all have the opportunity to view love in this way which is that he's not threatened by the love I have for Phil, which I still have for Phil and he is well aware of. Instead, he recognizes that my experience growing through the grief of, of losing my husband through becoming my own self again to offering new love to another person has been absolutely shaped by the fact that I was loved by Phil and that that love has been a key part of my life. So he knows that's part of who I am. He, I wouldn't be the same person I am today without that. And so, the person he loves is the person who loved Phil, and that means that we are all connected um, in a really beautiful way.
0: In truth, love is boundless, infinite, and eternal. It doesn't come from us or from others. It comes through each of us, all of us. And the more we give, the more we receive. But um, we're not always we're not always aware of that, especially when we're hurting. Let's take a quick break and come back. I have so many more uh, questions, and um, this is such an important topic. The first noble truth in Buddhism is life is suffering. You're not going to escape it, so this is relevant to each and every one of us. My guest is Michelle Neff Hernandez. She's got a brand new book. It's just been out a couple of weeks. Is that right, Michelle? Just it
1: has just came out.
0: Different after you. And we'll have more with my guest right after this. You're listening to The Ageless Wisdom on 90.7 FM, KPFK in Los Angeles. The
1: Center for the Art of Performance at UCLA presents Desandando El Camino, an evening with multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, producer, and composer Gustavo Santaolalla. KPFK is a proud media sponsor of this very special concert by Gustavo Santaolalla, Thursday, March 17, at 8 p.m. at UCLA's Royce Hall. More information, kpfk.org.
0: It's KPFK on your radio at 90.7 FM, the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, a program about consciousness, about self-awareness, and awareness in general, actually, about personal and spiritual growth. And today we're talking a lot about grief and loss. And actually in the larger sense, how do you deal with big powerful emotions that hurt? And I think our immediate tendency is to run away, to gird our loins, to, to use literally muscular tension and shallow breathing and distraction and <laughs> maybe drugs and alcohol and workaholic and all manner of other distraction, just to repress it, suppress or oppress. A lot of pressing going on. And actually, what we need to do is acknowledge it, face it, and wade right into the middle of it. My guest, Michelle De Hernandez, knows of what she speaks. Her book about the loss of her husband, the death of her husband. Um, We're talking, what, 16, 17 years ago now, right? 16 years ago. Hard to
1: believe, but true.
0: Her book is called Different After You. Really a wonderful title. Not better than, not worse than, and not different without you, different after you. Did it take long for you to settle on that title, Michelle?
1: You know, I really wanted to represent that, what what was actually harder to come to was the second half of the title, which is uh, Rediscovering Yourself and Healing After Grief and Trauma. Different After You just really hit a chord for me. I knew that I needed to represent um, that that difference, That that the key to processing trauma, in my opinion, is first to acknowledge that it changed you. Because we spend a lot of time running away from our past, running away from past experiences in the hope that we can outrun them. But the truth is that just puts you always on the run. We can't outrun them. Those experiences, every one of our experiences, both the difficult and the wonderful, live in our bodies. They live in our souls. They live in our memories. They live in our emotions. And so it's impossible to outrun what what we've lived through. We are influenced by it. And so for me... Integration is one of the big concepts in the book. And the idea of integration is that our past, our present, and our future are all influencing each other every day in every experience. And when we attempt to take one of those time perspectives and separate it from the others, what we end up doing is depriving ourselves of the value of that perspective as we try to heal. I think of it like a three-legged stool. Past, present, future. When you sit on a three-legged stool, you feel very solid. It's one of the most solid bases you can be on. When you take off one of those legs, so let's say we try to take out our past and we ignore what has happened to us. Can we sit on a two-legged stool? We probably can, but imagine the amount of effort and balance it would take to try to sit on that stool. And so what we end up doing is spending all of our energy trying to make sure the past doesn't have a place in our lives, when if we just gave it a place in our lives, we would have a more stable a Facil- foundation for being able to heal. And so our, our traumatic experiences have to have a place in our lives. If they don't, we just spend our time running away from them rather than allowing them to influence our present and to help us shape our future.
0: So much of what hurts us emotionally is a signal about uncertainty, confusion, things that we don't know. I think all fear is fear of the unknown ultimately. Whether it's dangerous or not, danger is really irrelevant. Fear is about not understanding. Not understanding the situation and and maybe even moreover not understanding ourselves. So I think we grieve poorly if we push away from the hurt and the heartache if we you use the word acknowledge, if we refuse to acknowledge it and just gird our loins and repress it, to grieve well means we must allow these feelings to have their way with us. That can be a little messy. How do we do yeah, that?
1: Yeah, messy, scary. Um, you know, I think the thing is, it one thing that's really important for everyone to hear is that there is no correct way to grieve, that we will each make our way through every trauma in our lives in a unique fashion, as you said, we are uniquely designed. And so we are going to make our way through. The the thing is that if we refuse to acknowledge or process our pain, the person who pays for that is us. You yourself will pay for it because what will happen is that pain will continue to chase you. And so it comes down to timing. Do you want to deal with your grief while you're experiencing it? Or do you want to wait until much later? And end up having to deal with it in a different way because it's not going away. It's just you're running and you'll keep running until you can't run anymore. And that's either because another situation has overcome you and you know, it's so big that you can't deny it. And then guess what? The rest of the pain of what you haven't yet processed is attached to your new experience. And so for us to really fully engage with our grief is to acknowledge it, allow it a place in our lives. And as you said, dive into the messiness and know that we are going to be changed by what we've lived. And if we can allow that change, then guess what? We make space for possibility. We make space for what can come next. But I like to remind people, if something's not broken, there's no space for healing. So in order for us to be healed, we have to first be broken so we have to allow the things that break our hearts to break our hearts in order to have the time and the space to be able to acknowledge we need to heal and then the healing takes place over time and with effort of course but the first step is allowing ourselves to be broken and as a society we typically don't we, we don't acknowledge that we we instead we honor strength we honor oh that person's you know mother died yesterday and they were back at work the next day we acknowledge as a society that that's the value is to keep going keep going but sometimes if we can just allow ourselves the break that's when we get the chance to heal
0: i think we need to redefine the word strength for sure strength is in the vulnerability and the, Mm -hmm. the willingness to feel that deeply uh to explore every uh, nook and crevice of this shadowy fearful nightmare that we're going through that's strength it seems to be not pushing it away or turning and running and ignoring and denying but I, I hear what you say because we often use literal muscular tension uh, to prevent ourselves from feeling your background is that of a physical trainer yes uh- you must know about strength in terms of a strong muscle versus like a yoga approach a relaxed muscle
1: Mm -hmm. well and you know talk
0: about strength like that for a while
1: what's interesting to me is that when you talk about my late husband I used to say that he was superman with chicken legs um, because he had very very skinny legs but that man could ride up a hill like nobody's business and um, his strength would make you think that there was nothing that could take him down and yet in one instant he's hit by a car and that strength does not end up being the thing that saves him and so what i like to look at when we're talking about physical strength and also just as a reminder the things that we hold on to the 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 difficult experiences that we live through that are living in our bodies, you can feel it. It's in your neck. It's in the tightness of your muscles. It's in the headaches that you get. It's in the panic that you might feel sometimes. When our body is signaling something is wrong here, and that could be anything from you know continually straining a muscle to oftentimes feeling out of breath, all of those cues. We sometimes forget to look at the emotions that can be behind that. And we think that it's only physical, but we are not living just a physical life. We are a physical, emotional, spiritual being that has all three of those things connected. And grief lives not only in our emotions, not just in our heart and soul, but also in our body.
0: How about practical tools and techniques? Can we break it down to somebody coming to you and saying, I really understand what you're saying, the philosophy, the psychology. I'm ready to do the work, but I still don't know what to do.
1: Yeah, and you know it's so great is that we started with that physical bit because the first thing I'll tell you is walk, walk out of your house and go to the mailbox and come back (laughs) because so many times it's the beginning of moving through. We forget when we're grieving to take care of our physical bodies. When you're in deep emotional pain, We can be so focused on what we feel emotionally that we forget entirely about our physical selves. So we're crying a lot, but not drinking enough water. We're laying in bed totally a mess because we can't get up. But what does that mean? Our muscles are atrophying as we speak. And so being able to first pay attention to your physical selves, that is a, a very easy and first step, which can seem simple, but what the outcome of Taking care of ourselves is we are stronger to be able to handle the emotional challenges that we're facing because we're physically. You forget that if you're dehydrated, you could have a headache. So if you have a headache because you're and you're associating it only with your grief, you're not even dealing with the physical elements that could be can be a part of what's happening in your life. So my first suggestion is always the physical because those are easy to identify and a, a task that can become a habit. So walk to the mailbox and come back. If you haven't been getting out of your bed, that may seem like a big deal. When you've gotten to the mailbox and back every day, go down the street halfway and back. Keep continuing to get out and start moving. And then the next thing is about having support. Who do you have besides you, yourself, and you to help you process this experience? Because when we are outside of a community, And have only our own brain to help us process something new that we've never experienced. We only have our own perspective. And that can lend us to this narrative of I'm not doing this well, or I can't do this, or I don't know how anyone does this. When you meet someone else who is doing the same thing you are doing, even if they're doing it 100% differently than you would or could, it still opens the door to perspective and begins to help us see that there's a lot of ways to make our way through that we are each going to carve our own path. But when we do it with other people who are carving their path too, it helps us to have a better understanding of the experience, normalizes the feelings we're having and can inspire us to find a way to make our way through. So move, drink water, find a community. Those are the top three things to do if you find yourself in a space of needing to process something really, really difficult.
0: If we're part of that group of other people, And we would like to do something, but are not sure what to do. Let's talk about the importance of just listening, Mm -hmm. deep listening, without feeling like you have to say anything. Yep.
1: Let's first talk about how hard that is. (laughs) Because here's the thing, especially for someone you love, I'll give you this example. Um, The book begins with my husband's death, but it ends with my dad's death. And I, so which means that my mother became widowed um, just less than a year ago. And so after teaching and working with widowed community for 14 years, you would I know better. I know better than to try to fix. And yet still sometimes have to bite my tongue when she's having a really hard day and I'm thinking, how can I fix this? I can't fix it. It can't be fixed. My dad is not coming back to life and I cannot fix this for her. But what I can do is listen what I can do is say, I love you, mom. I know this is hard. So, but, but I understand in saying that how difficult it can be. As you said, first of all, deep listening can be scary because it opens you up to a world of what can happen. If that can happen to the person who you're talking to, it often gives us the sense of, oh, wait, is that, that could also happen to me. It opens our experience in a way that opens our hearts and that, Vulnerability, being able to be that vulnerable is a scary and difficult thing. And I honor every single person who has the ability to be a deep listener. I also want to give you a chance before we jump in here to say if you aren't a deep listener, if that's something that you think, oh no, I can't, I can't do that, that doesn't mean you can't help. What you can do to help then is send a note in the mail that says, I'm thinking about you and I love you. If you want to go step number two, put in a gift card for a restaurant that delivers. And put that in the card because, you know, your friend who's struggling with whatever they're struggling with, there's going to be a day where they just think to themselves, I cannot make dinner. And they're going to think, oh, my friend sent me dinner. Here it is. And so, see, you've already been able to help. You've confirmed that the person's loved. You confirmed that you are thinking about them. You've offered something practical. And if you're not a person who is going to be the deep listener, this is another way that you can still participate by giving your friend a little lift when they need it.
0: You touched on my next question, which is the sense of mortality that this brings up. If this person that I love died, oh, my God, people die. That means I'm going to die. What do you do with that one?
1: Well, and that's the thing, right, is that I I often tell people my husband died on a Wednesday. And I thought to myself, not only do I now know that people die, but people can die on any random Wednesday. Like it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be just a random, you woke up on Wednesday and everything was normal. And by the end of Wednesday, your entire life was upside down. And so there is this, this is why we we can't ever walk in the world in the same way again, because I now know that. And now what, what life is requiring of me is to walk with a little more courage because I have my own personal experience of someone dying on a random Wednesday. And so when I hear, for example, an ambulance drive by. I rode in the ambulance with my husband. That ambulance signals to me that someone else's life might actually be changing in this very minute. And the truth is, it also could be someone going to have a baby or it could be somebody going, uh, you know, to do something that is not going to end their life. And they may be being saved right in that moment. But because of my personal experience, the first thing I think when I hear an ambulance is that somebody's life is ending, which is why I walk differently in the world. But what I have learned to do is when I hear that ambulance, I send a positive bit of love into the world for whomever is in that ambulance and for the family around them. I count my blessings that I have people in my life that I care about. I give myself a minute because I know that I am reflecting on a really traumatic experience in my life, and then I step into the next minute
0: after that. I want to talk about the group that you set up and support groups and the importance of having this available But I also want to go beyond the first three, get out of bed, walk to the mailbox, drink plenty of water, and talk.
1: Find a community. Yeah,
0: (laughs) express yourself. Um, Tell me about this organization that you've set up and tell the story of its growth. It's quite remarkable what you've done.
1: Soaring Spirits International is an organization that I founded to provide a peer community for widowed people.
0: Say the name of it again.
1: Soaring Spirits International.
0: Soaring Spirits International. Okay.
1: And we provide uh, in-person and virtual programs that are offering resources that are custom designed for widowed people. We use a broad definition of the word widow. So any person who has experienced the death of the person they thought they were going to spend their life with is welcome in our programs since our inception in 2009, we have well, the organization began in 2008. We had our first event called Camp Widow in 2009. It's a weekend long event that offers kind of a blend between a conference, a retreat, and a high school reunion. We try to pull in all pieces of those three different elements. Um, and since our inception, we've been able to reach over 4 million widowed people and provide them with a community and specific resources to help them rebuild their lives in the aftermath of the death of their spouse or partner.
0: How do people find out more about Soaring Spirits International? How do they get involved? Soaringspirits.org
1: is our website. You will find all the description of all of our programs. One unique thing that we do is offer what we call a newly widowed packet. It's available for free. We'll give you an introduction to every program that Soaring Spirits offers. What's beautiful about the newly widowed packets is it's not just for the newly widowed person. If you know someone who's widowed, you can request one for yourself. It would be delivered to you and then you would have the opportunity to deliver it to the widowed person in your life. We do that because um, it can be a very vulnerable feeling knowing you're widowed in the world and you don't want to get mail um, that you didn't ask for that says you're widowed. So we don't want to scare people that to think that somehow we figured out that they're widowed and we're sending them widow mail. So instead we send it to the friend who requests it. Um, but it gives you, you know, in that moment when you think, what am I going to do? How can I help my friend or my family member or my coworker? I know they're suffering and I just, I just don't know what to do. Being able to offer them this resource is such a good feeling. So for those of you who are not widowed and listening you can request newly widowed packets for yourself they would be sent to you again for free and then you would be able to take that and provide it um, to a new newly widowed person who may benefit from being able to connect with a community of others who understand uniquely the experience
0: and your brand new book just out a few weeks different after you Do you have a preference of how people buy this book or should they just go to Amazon?
1: I love for people to buy it in the way that speaks to their values. So you can buy that at michelleneffhernandez.com. So Michelle is spelled with one L, neff, N-E-F-F, hernandez.com. I have all the options for buying them. So you can buy them at an indie bookstore. You can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it at Barnes & Noble. All of the options are available on the website.
0: I think Amazon's doing pretty well without us. Uh, If you can buy your book any other place. (laughs) (laughs) Most of my books are sold at Amazon, but talk about grief and loss. The corner bookstore, you know. Yeah, for sure. The specialty bookstore.
1: I also love if people just go and ask
0: for the grief books
1: because so often, you know, they're they're kind of hidden in a corner. So if you go to the counter and say, there's this book I heard about, I'd love to buy it here. Um, it's a great way to get the word out about the value of having those resources available for grieving people so they don't have to work so hard to try to find support.
0: A book like this is so important, and I think you've done such a excellent job of putting it together that I'd like to encourage people to buy two keep one and give one to your library or buy three, keep one, give one to your library and one to a close friend. Uh, Books are a marvelous value. And you're not talking about having to pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars. It's a pocket full of change to buy a publication that can change your life. Imagine that. Uh, I'm a, a big fan of books. Me too. Uh, Best way to learn from people who are dead or far away. (laughs) Michelle, thank you uh, for taking the time to be with us today in KPFK. Thanks for the book. Thank you for your courage and making part of your process of healing, helping other people to go through that process as gracefully as possible. And I don't think that... uh, there are many things in life that we could devote ourselves to that would bring more meaning and 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 purpose and reward to being able to help other people on this level at such a critical time in our lives as grief and loss it's just uh, it's important work you're doing and i really appreciate it
1: well, oh, thank you so much, Michael. It really, truly is a privilege. I I love what I do, and I love being able to be a voice for people who need a comforting uh, a comforting person to say, "How in the world am I supposed to do this?"
0: <laughs> Indeed, Michelle Neff Hernandez, is my guest today. Uh, get the book Different After You. You'll find enormous value in it. I promise you. And thanks for listening. You can find this program on the website as a podcast streaming. Uh, theagelesswisdom.com more about me at michaelbenner.com and I want to thank my producer Mark Brisky Uh, suggest you stay tuned for the Carrie Harrison show and as always be gentle, love life and take care of each other from Los Angeles this is Michael Benner on KPFK